Hey friends, and welcome to the Homecoming Podcast. So this podcast was previously known as Swimming and Singing. I still love that title. It's very dear to me. But I wanted to have a title that connected more clearly with what I am doing here. And so like the online membership I run, I've changed the name to Homecoming because really what the podcast and the membership are all about is conversations and practices and inspiration for you to come home to your true self, your capital S self. And so, um, yeah, welcome to Homecoming. I'm really excited about the interview I have to share with you today, and I will tell you uh, we recorded at the beginning of summer, so I do at the start say, welcome to Swimming and Singing. Um, But I've got Tanya here for you today, and she is from A Soulful Space, asoulfulspace.com. She's an intuitive guide and spiritual mentor who supports soul-centered people in becoming deeply nourished in their lives so they're able to show up in the world peacefully and powerfully connected to who they are, what they want, and where they want to be. And I love the conversation that we had. It grew out of a conversation that we, a chat that we had just been having informally offline. And um, it's it came up around this idea that yoga has a PR problem. Now, <laughs> I just want to be clear. When I talk about yoga having a PR, PR problem, we're really talking about the way yoga is practiced in the West um, and how it's often uh, misunderstood and people tend to think they need to have like a certain body to be able to do yoga and you have to be flexible and you have to be calm. And so we're really just talking about what we call asana, the physical practice of yoga and, um, and how it is, how it's understood here in, um, Western society. But we talk about so much more than just that. Um, And the reason I'm excited for this to be the first episode of the homecoming, this new homecoming season, is Tanya really gets at some of the things that we'll be talking about more of in coming episodes, including the idea that, that yoga is this framework for living every moment with more presence and intention, and that it is that it can coincide with uh, religious practices that a person might already have. And it can also kind of fill that, not kind of, it can fill that that need for folks who maybe have um, turned away from or uh, never were a part of a religion. So uh, yeah, excited to share this episode with you. Welcome home. Hey, Tanya. Welcome to Swimming and Singing. Hi, Sarah. Nice to be here. So good to have you. So you and I were talking offline recently about yoga, and we're both yoga teachers. And you said that yoga has a bit of a PR problem. And so I think you and I probably run into people all the time. When you say you're a yoga teacher, they'll say something along the lines of, 
oh, yoga sounds great, or my doctor recommended yoga, but I could never do yoga. I can't even touch my toes. Um, So my question to you, do you have to be able to touch your toes to do yoga? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I would say that we set ourselves up a little bit when we create those sorts of it's not even outcomes is it it's um goals is maybe not the best word for it either this this idea it's a story we're telling ourselves really and um and i think you know for me yoga is a it's a liberation practice and whether or not I can touch my toes on any given day, which I just turned 50. So there are days now where it is, it hurts to touch my toes <laughs> a little more than it used to. Right. Um, and uh, I have to honor that. It's, it's a, to me, asada is, it's a conversation with my whole self, including my body. And so the fact that I can or can't touch my toes can or can't, um, get into a particular asana, um, posture the way that I might have last time I did Mm -hmm. it, or even at the beginning of a practice versus at the end of a practice or vice versa is it's all just information, um, for me to take on board is, and it's all honestly an opportunity for me to practice Mm self-love and self-compassion and to release judgment and criticism and to notice when those are the words, that's the story that's coming forward in my head is like, oh, why can't I just touch my toes? <laughs> well, what magic thing happens when I touch my toes? I can tell you nothing mm-hmm. in my experience, right? Mm-hmm. I did not, there were no rainbows, <laughs> there were no unicorns, um, a million dollars did not fall from the sky. <laughs> I just touched my toes, just like the same thing happened when I didn't touch my toes. I just didn't touch my toes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I will clarify when Tanya or I say asana, it's the, that's the physical practice of yoga. Just clarifying for the listeners. Um, And as you were talking, I thought, And then, of course, also people could potentially run into people in the yoga industry, other yoga teachers um, or classes where maybe you would feel um, ostracized if you couldn't do a certain thing with your physical body. And so just like also throwing it out there that if you if a person runs into that kind of class, that it's okay to leave that class. You don't you know, that's for us. That's not yoga. And so empowering people to find the right teachers and the right class for them. Yes. Yes. And that circles back to it's a, it's a, it's a liberation practice. And part of that liberation practice is for us to expose ourselves potentially to things, to the opposite of freedom and for us, right? Because to some people that more, rigidly held space of the um, the physical practice that you just described, where you might feel less than in some way um, if you were not lithe and thin and 
probably young and probably yeah. white, um, then you can feel like, oh, I don't, I don't belong in yoga because I don't belong here. And that's not true. You don't, maybe there isn't a place for you in that space. Um, and that's just information too, that says, this is not my place. And there is some place for me just as I am. I don't have to change to feel like I belong in this space. I don't owe these people or this space or this practice or whatever my well-being, my heart, my sense of self so that I can fit into it. Uh, instead, yoga in the full eight limbs sense of yoga beyond you know, asana being just one of the eight eight limbs. So there's like seven mm -hmm. other pieces of the yoga pie for us to consider. Um, it when you take it in in its fullness, it invites us to step out of those spaces intentionally and consciously and say that is that space is not for me. Mm -hmm. But I firmly believe that yoga can be for every person, every body um if they want it to be and it doesn't have to be like right you can come to yoga and say yeah i don't really like this this is not my thing yeah and um and that's okay too and in that instance yoga is also freeing you because it's mm -hmm. saying go ahead it's okay yeah yeah right you've learned a little bit about yourself today this is not this is not your practice yeah. and let that be okay yeah thank you so there's this whole other group of people <laughs> who think they can't do yoga because maybe they can't be still or they can't focus. I hear this from people who might have anxiety or ADHD diagnosis or even just like a busy mind um, or a busy body. And um, so how, how important do you think it is that people come to yoga with the ability to be calm and still? <laughs> Boy, if any of these were true, I would not. <laughs> I would have run screaming from yoga. Um, I think it is my experience, both personally and in working with other people, that it is a it's a story that we've been told that we already have to arrive, have to have arrived somewhere in order to be able. Um, it's not ready because, you know, we often can feel quite not ready because yoga is also can be a very confronting practice because if, for instance, we um, struggle with anxiety, a busy body, a busy mind, it can be quite confronting to step into a slow flow, a yin class, yeah. oh yeah. my goodness, where you have to like, where you are still right on the outside. Restorative yoga. I Restorative is one of my like true yoga loves yeah. in the world. And, um, and I have watched people jitter their way through an entire restorative yoga class because that day stillness was hard. Yeah. And you can learn to be with yourself in whatever state you show up. Mm. And yoga is there for you. 
yoga doesn't care yeah. if you jitter your way through the entire restorative class or shavasana, for right. instance, right. right? Like I've certainly watched people, like I celebrate inside sometimes when I watch someone jitter their way through most of shavasana <laughs> and then they, then they take that breath, right? That every yoga teacher knows <laughs> that like... And you're like, ah, oh, they're with me and Shavasana is over, yeah. but they were with me for a second um, because I celebrate for them to know that that sense of that wave of regulation finally got yeah. in there, even if it's for a fraction of a moment. We have this idea that um, I think I've seen on social media, it was probably t-shirts and memes or whatever, <laughs> about how, um, you know, everybody assumes yoga teachers are like these super calm people and like our lives are all serene and like beautiful and perfect. And then I've seen this thing that's like, you know, no, I, we are the craziest because and that's what makes yeah. us, you know, come and, or we are the most, and, and that's, you know, obviously a, a gross oversimplification of all of it. And like so many things, it's at least a little bit true. It yeah. does not, our lives aren't perfect. Yeah. It's, and at the same time, I'm 25-ish years into practicing yoga, 10 plus into teaching. And, um, and I can say that. I can navigate the most bizarre of life circumstances that um, now with a great deal more groundedness mm -hmm. than I ever could have before. Some of that's a function of being 50 and not 25. Right. <laughs> and some of and a lot of it I definitely owe to the toolbox that I now have thanks to yoga and all of the related practices that I've taken up yeah. as a result of the, the door being cracked open by yeah. an asana practice, ashtanga asana practice, to be honest with you, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, like ashtanga is not my thing now, like at all. But that was my very first class was an ashtanga class. Yeah. Yeah. So. Thank you. So <clears throat> let's kind of covered mind and body there. Let's talk a little bit about the spirit. Um, so sometimes I talk to students who think um, they aren't in a good enough mood to do yoga. Um, they don't feel calm and blissful and connected. Um, and we were chatting before, I especially like I'll see people or I'll talk to people who are going to get back to their yoga practice when their life calms down. And so um, talk to me about doing yoga even when life is not already calm. Yeah. So I am a human who navigates the world with depression and I can honestly say that it would, it is not hyperbole to say that my yoga practice has, I, I, I hesitate to say saved my life. Um, I would say more has given me back my sense of self 
and sovereignty in my life. And so I 100% do not prescribe to the idea that yoga is only for the blissful, the Mm -hmm. blissed out, the good moods, the good days. Um, My yoga practice, like from my experience from the get-go, yoga has been a balance of practice to me. I was an active duty Marine when I first came to yoga. So I was not, while I was practice, like I was in power classes, you know, because that was what I was used to physically. Um, Yoga itself was, it was always about the the calming and the stress relief and the stillness, even in the midst of like really difficult movement. It was about the still point at the center of it all. And recognizing when I could like easily access that still point and the days that I could go through an entire hour, 75 minute, 90 minute class um, and only watch that still point slide by <laughs> as I moved through um, and learning to be okay with that, learning to be okay with Thing, yeah, which is like who I am in the midst of whatever I'm doing. Now, one thing I, one area I think that people are challenged, and I, I totally want to acknowledge that when all the balls that we feel like we have to keep in the air are kind of dropping to the ground around us in those moments, um, we can be tempted to say, I'll get back to my practice when, Mm -hmm. like this chaos around me all settles down. And and if we feel as though the practice is another ball in the air, another unmet obligation, another thing we could fail to do correctly, and all of that, then, then yeah, obviously, we might want to set it down for a while. But I would offer that there are seven other (laughs) limbs of yoga besides asana um, that we can be practicing every day as we move through the world. Um, Breath work in line. Breath work when you're waiting to pick up your kids from school or camp or wherever. Breath work when you're sitting in yet another meeting where somebody's talking about something and you have actually no part to play in it, but you have to be there. Um, there are, there's a lot of yoga that we can be practicing in the middle of life and it does not have to be separate. And this is kind of the yoga has a PR problem, Mm -hmm. um, conversation piece of that, that we talked about before. And that is this idea that yoga looks a particular way, happens in a particular place, is this, sort of 60 minute chunk of things, right? Yoga is also a few cats and cows on the floor when you get up in the morning. I I kind of see it, like I've come to understand it for myself and I try to relay this to the people that I work with as well, is part of the liberation process and practice of yoga is also liberating yoga <laughs> and saying like, if I breathe intentionally for five deep breaths, 
I'm going to give myself yoga credit, right? Like I, I get yoga credit today. Right. I am, I'm at the point in my journey where I'm never not practicing yoga. Yeah. That's how I see it. Um, I am, it's a, it, that's the beauty of the framework that is the fullness of yoga is that it is this kind of elegant, simple, but not easy in the Western culture um, framework for just living every moment with more presence, more intention, more consciousness. And so even when I'm not doing that well, I'm still practicing yoga because I'm learning about how I'm not doing that well and what it is that pulls me out of doing that and of being, you know, myself when I can observe myself, I don't know, heading off in some direction that I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) Um, And to just be kind and compassionate to myself in the moments that I'm kind of losing it and say, that's yoga. It's not that I can't lose it anymore. It's not that I have to be blissed out. It's not that I have to be limber and strong and flexible or any of these things. It's who I am while I'm doing the, the practice of life. And can I be a kind, loving, honest human to myself first and foremost, and then by extension, quite naturally, everybody else, as I move through my life, whatever may come. Because the tsunamis don't stop coming. It's not that we suddenly reach some panacea and all of a sudden the balls that we've been dropping all over the place like no longer matter. I I don't believe we're here to transcend our human experience. Mm -hmm. I believe we're here to be in it, like present with it, messy and all of that. Um, And to practice love while we do it in all the ways we know how, as best we know how in any given moment. And so yoga to me is like... It's a spiritual practice through and through. I think it it's beyond any particular um, religious practice that we might have. It's, you know, and I think it's completely aligned with. I honestly, you know, practicing the like the eight limbs of yoga, if because I know people who struggle with, reconciling sometimes their Christian beliefs, for instance, and practicing yoga. And I, I believe that ultimately really leaning into the fullness of the yoga uh, wisdom tradition of yoga, you cannot help but ultimately become, I, don't, I, I hesitate to say the words better Christian, but more aware of the, you know, Jesus's teachings are completely aligned with the Vedic wisdom as I see it. Like I, I don't really see a lot of separation. And um and I'm I can't speak as um from first first hand experience as much for other religious traditions and other wisdom traditions, but it seems to me the little bit that I know about a lot of them is that um they share a lot of commonalities 
with with this this wisdom tradition too. Um, and what makes yoga really special is it has that embodiment practice built into it. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, our bodies are with us too. We're not overcoming our bodies. We're not, it's, we're in our bodies while we practice love and honesty and, you know, self-study and yamas yeah. and yamas and all the other limbs. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Tanya. Thank you for that. So if somebody wanted to create a daily spiritual practice, do you have a guide for that? (laughs) (laughs) I do have a guide for that. Such a a generous segue. (laughs) Thank you. So... um, Yes, I created this. I call it the Sovereign Souls Guide to a daily spiritual practice or to creating a daily spiritual practice. And it really sprang forward from um, the many interactions that I've had with people who are like, oh, I try to meditate, but, or I try to practice yoga, but, or I try to, and the the guide is oriented toward Finding a practice that, and I I use daily with an asterisk, right? Because I would say almost daily, (laughs) near daily, um, more regular than you are currently doing it, um, practice, because that's how we start everything, right? So part of, I think, why we sort of stumble and give up on these practices sometimes is this idea that it only works if you do it every single day for at least 60 minutes, all the rules. Yeah. And um, I just don't believe in them. I don't believe in them. If what you have available to you is five minutes in the morning before you even get out of bed, because as soon as you get out of bed, so do the dogs and the kids and the whatevers and, you know, the demands start, then that is your window. What can you do with that window that feels like that is intentional, that is pleasurable for you, that you look forward to? And so... This guide is designed to take you just step by step through how to find a practice to start with too, right? Like, okay, we're going to start here and then we're going to readjust if we need to. If we realize if we, because so often we go gangbusters, right? We're like, oh, 30 minutes. I could do 30 minutes, right? And we could do 30 minutes for like a week. (laughs) Right. And so then we might have to tinker with it a little and retool. Yeah. And uh, so it's designed to help you create a practice that centers you um, instead of all of the other external requirements and definitions of what is a mm-hmm. um, spiritual practice. Like you get to decide, define that for yourself. And I offer it through the lens of what is um, meaningful for you, sustainable for you, and pleasurable for you. Mm-hmm. And looking at it through that lens, step by step until you come up with at the kind of at the end of the journey, you kind of have a list of things and you say, okay, I'm going to start here. This is the one I'm going to start with. And I really believe that words have a a lot of power. Um, And so at the end of the guide, I encourage you to kind of write out a promise statement to yourself for the next 30 days, I will practice diaphragmatic breathing for five minutes a day, whatever, 
Yeah. Um, whatever it is that you come up with, I will get outside for a walk. I will sit on a stump outside <laughs> and listen to birds for five minutes a day, every day for the next 30 days as your starting point. And it's that way you're making that promise to yourself. And when you then keep that promise, you're also building self-trust and it's just, and that's, that's how it all grows. Yeah. There are, you know, as I said, my whole, I kind of view myself as practicing, like, I have ritualized a great deal of my day, my life. That mm -hmm. is just how I move through the world now. And that did not happen all at one time. Right. right. That happened five minutes at a time, one promise at a time kept to myself. And until it became kind of a default where I just like, for the most part, would not miss it, could not miss it, totally understand the value of it for myself, can recognize when I move away from it that I might be avoiding something, mm. for instance, mm -hmm. um, and all of that. Right. And um, but I didn't I didn't do that all at one time. Yeah. My life did not go from not ritualized to ritualized because I flipped a switch. It it was a intentional step by step trial and error until things finally stuck. And then I was like, oh, OK, this works for me in this way. And I'm going to do this. And now, okay, I'm ready to add something else. Or I'm ready to shift, right? Spiritual practice changes. There are times um, when, like, when I'm deep in, like, a healing portion of my journey, I am a journaling fool. Mm -hmm. I am writing all the time. And then when things lighten up a little, I can be a little less... Um, uh, rigid is not the word. I would say committed, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Right? There's more. There's more. There's more room for me yeah. to consider other things, other practices, and uh, to make space for myself in in different ways. And um, and again, that's just been a trial and error practice. So I created that. This is why I created this guide to just help people find a starting point and something that they can touch back to and say you know what, this one's not really doing it for me anymore. Like, I feel like I need something more or different. Um, and then to have this, you know, guide to just kind of go through and, and these questions to sort of ask yourself. I think that um, so much of the spiritual journey, as I see it, is about the willingness to, it's developing not just the willingness, I suppose, to ask the questions, um, but the willingness to sit in the questions mm. long enough to either accept that there is no um, satisfying answer or until an answer comes forward. Mm -hmm. So often we ask the question and then we're like out there, like looking under all the rocks and picking up all the things and trying to find all the solutions. Googling. And the question, yeah, the question is it's in the air and the solutions yeah. are trying to make their way to us, but like we're running from them. We're looking in all these other places where if we just ask the question, and then sat still for a second and still is relative, yeah, right? It right, doesn't mean you have to actually sit still. It just means um, you could go for a walk in the woods, like do something that's nurturing, nurturing and nourishing rather than frenetic. And, and yeah. I think of it sometimes as like we sit and we just sort of spin. We, mm. we expend energy going nowhere. Mm -hmm. And 
one of the things that I, one of the gifts I think that yoga has for us is to sort of step into that question space and be willing to ask the questions that we don't already have the answer to and that there may not be a satisfying answer to, and then just sit in that question for as long as it takes, which might, you know, honestly be a lifetime. And that's very dissatisfying, but unfortunately right. true. Yeah. <laughs> um, and sometimes, and honestly, what I find is that the questions often lead to other questions. Mm. And, um, and that's often, because I'm often asking, uh, I don't want to say the wrong question, but mm -hmm. not the most important question to my deeper self when I start. Mm -hmm. I'm asking a more superficial question. And it's as, as I follow the questions that I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. this is where I'm actually, this is what I'm really concerned about. I think it's this. Yeah. But in truth, like what, what my heart wants me to hear is, is this, wants yeah. me to ask, wants me to sit with. And um, that that does take, I don't want to say time, intention. I think mm -hmm. intention, intention is probably the more accurate statement. Yeah. Well, I will include a link um, to that guide in the show notes, as well as um, ways to contact you to your website or your, um, your online studio space. Because uh, there's lots of ways to to work with Tanya. You don't have to be uh, located where she is. She's also online. So it's true. That's the beauty of the virtual world, right? Is yeah. that uh, we are not limited so much by time and space. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. It was a great conversation, and um, yeah, I look forward to to chatting more. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Homecoming Podcast. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have thoughts or comments or questions, my contact info can be found in the show notes, as well as the contact info for Tanya and um, to get that guide that she was talking about. The last thing I wanted to mention was the Homecoming Online Membership is now in its always open model. And so you can join anytime. I would love to have you join us there. And if you're listening to this uh, in real time, this is September of 2023, we are just about to get started on a month of getting back into the practices, the practices of yoga, the practices that support you and your health and well being, your mind, body, and spirit. Uh, sometimes we have a tendency to let some of those practices slip in the summer months. So I'm in the Northern Hemisphere. We're just wrapping up summer and September is a great time to fall back into your practices. And if you're headed, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you guys are headed into spring, which is also a great time to get back into those practices that support and sustain you. So link, uh, link in the show notes to check that out. And thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time.